Welcome to Biz Help For You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, Develop an Amazing Culture of Accountability that Retains the Right People, informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, a link is located under the episode directory on my Voice America page, as well as links for iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest today. Autumn Ganser is the Assistant Director of Financial Aid at Holy Cross College in Notre Dame, Indiana. She has worked in higher education for over five years and enjoys growing in the knowledge it takes to help both parents and students traverse their years in college with the best financial game plan possible. At 20, she realized she was passionate about helping others through this vulnerable and somewhat difficult time in an honest and straightforward way. She's nationally certified in various aspects of financial aid and continues to attend classes, conferences, and webinars to to stay up to date with the constant changes in higher education. Autumn lives in Plymouth, Indiana with her husband, Jeremy, her bonus son, Landon, and her five cats and one dog. She also works full-time for affordable bookkeeping and payroll in Lameda, California. In her spare time, she loves to read and go to concerts and spend time with her family. So, Autumn, welcome to the show. Well, what I would like you to do first is just give us a little bit more background about yourself and how you got involved in the financial aid process. I actually was a student work study at the college that I attended in Silla College. And when I graduated, they contacted me about an open position. Uh, originally, I had worked in admissions for, a student, for my student work study, but they were interested in having me be a financial aid counselor because they saw my work ethic. So that's how I initially started out in financial aid, and I've been involved in it ever since. Okay, great. Well, this is going to be an interesting topic for a lot of people. You know, it's that time of year again where FOSA forms are starting to be filed. And then, of course, in the spring, you know, is the deadline. Um, but there's some people that might not even know what the FAFSA is. So can you explain what that is? Absolutely. So the FAFSA stands for Free Application for Federal Student Aid. This is an application that you file yearly. Uh, Some families file at once for the freshman year, and then as the next school year rolls around, they they didn't realize they needed to file it every year the student intends on going to college. The FAFSA does not give you money. It helps the institution see what they are allowed to give federally, state, and Mm -hmm. institutional-wise. It's a free application, and so when students or parents look up FAFSA, they'll Google FAFSA. And there's various websites that offer help with the FAFSA, gives you different options to do the FAFSA. And most of those websites, if not all of those, require you to pay them in order to file your FAFSA. 
there's one website you want to go to, and that's FASTA, F-A-S-S-A, dot E-E, dot G-O-V. And that is where you can file the free application for financial aid. Okay. Can you say that one more time just to make sure we get that for everyone? Absolutely. It's FAFSA, F-A-F-S-A, dot E-D, dot G-O-V. Perfect. Okay. So when does the period for filing actually open? So the FAFSA opens October 1st, and you can really file it through to June 30th of that following year. Okay. Unless, from what I understand, two states have earlier deadlines. Like in California, I believe we have to file by March 2nd. Um, So states might have different dates. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, they will want to look at the institutions that they're interested in attending, uh, look at what states they're involved in, and even some institutions have, um, like, early deadlines or premier dates where they prefer students to submit the FAFSA. Like, here in Indiana, it's April 15th that we have to submit our FAFSA by in order to receive any Indiana state aid for Indiana residents. Okay, perfect. Thanks for clarifying that as well. Uh, so, if someone is going to be applying now in October or in this you know period of time, whether it's now or through March or June or whatever those dates are, what period of time is that actually going to cover? So, the FAFSA that opened up this October first is for the twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one year, which means it'll be the next fall. So, this coming fall of twenty twenty. Um, or next, next fall of 2021 through the spring of 2022. Okay. So they're filing starting in 2020 through 2021, and it's for that following fall through their spring semester. Correct. Right. Okay. So I'm sure there's a lot of people thinking, well, I don't think I'm even going to qualify for financial aid. There's some that are still doing, you know, well, even in the pandemic, you know, and so mm-hmm. should they even file that FAFSA form if they think they're not even going to qualify? Absolutely. Um, Depending on the university you go to, some of them require you to fill out the financial aid with the FAFSA um, application. It's really just a good idea just in case um, students or parents need to take out a student or parent plus loan to apply Mm -hmm. um, towards fall or spring of the school year. Uh, generally, the FAFSA takes three to five business days for the institution to receive it. And then, of course, if you're doing loans, then there's a separate process for that. So you'd really want to uh, file the FAFSA just in case so as to not hold up a process if you need a student loan to be taken out to cover um, student account balances or you need a refund to live off of. It would be, it would be wisdom to file it, even if you're not sure you're going to qualify for any financial aid. Mm-hmm. It's better to be on the safe side and just have it processed. Even if they say, you know, you don't qualify at this point, at least it's been, you know, in the works versus you don't file it and later on you actually need that help and it's too late. Correct. Yeah. And then it just elongates the process. And then the, the student is getting nervous. The parents are worried about the bill. It's, it's just better to, it's a free application. So it really only takes your time. And mm-hmm. when it would be best to meet with financial aid counselors, and high schools host staff nights where um, 
financial aid counselors from that area go to the high school to teach parents and students how to file, take advantage of those resources. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So what about someone then maybe is thinking, well, I'm not sure I actually want to go to college. I mean, I might want to take a year off or maybe they're already in college, but they're thinking of taking a little bit of a break, you know, working and then getting, you know, more funds and then going back to school. So should they also file, even if they're not sure they're going to be going to college? Correct. So this falls within the same vein of students who don't even think they would qualify for financial aid. If it's a last-minute decision where you believe that your plans have changed and you're interested in going to college, once again, the FAFSA takes three to five days for an institution to even receive it. They then have to evaluate it to make sure they have all the information needed and that if they need any additional information, they'll then reach out and contact you. So it could be, I filed FAFSA right now. The institution may not receive it until this time next week, and then there may be additional that's taken. So uh, a, a process that seems to take a few days may end up taking a few weeks. So it's just best to do it right up front. Um, whether you think you're going to go or not, when you apply for the FAFSA, that doesn't lock you into going to college. It just allows those universities to be able to see um, the, the important information needed in order to assign the correct aid. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would be the same if someone was just taking a semester off as well. They would still want to make sure that they have filed and have that financial aid available. So if they decide to take off the fall, but they were granted financial aid, they probably could just let the college know, right? Like, oh, I've decided to take off a semester, but I'll need it in the spring. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so some, some universities will have, and I know just personally for ours, um, admissions counselors will reach out to students and see if they're interested in the academic year. And then generally the student will say, I'm actually taking a semester off, I'm interested in coming in in the spring, and then that admissions counselor will keep in touch with them. So when the FAFSA is filed, it's good for the whole academic year. So even mm-hmm. if you don't use the funds in the fall, we'll at least still have the FAFSA to look over to be able to apply aid and draw down aid for you in your spring. Right. Okay, so now... If the student or the parents are going to start filing this form, you know, I know there's information that they're going to need. So can you touch on what types of information they will need to be able to fill out the FAFSA and any documentation that they might have to have to review to get that information from? Yeah, with uh, the FAFSA, I know a lot of, of students or parents get a pit in their stomach. They're, it's like this gigantic mountain. They're not sure if they're able to climb. And so just a few things that students or parents sometimes forget, like when they come into my office and they're ready to fill off their FAFSA, it's the, their social security numbers. Sometimes a student doesn't know their social security number, or the parents don't have it on them. It's really important to know what your social security numbers are because it is such a main identifier in the FAFSA. If the social security numbers are transposed, if they're incorrect, uh, the FAFSA goes through the Social Security Administration, and it goes through, um, there's there's certain stages the FAFSA has to go through to ensure that the student doesn't have defaults on their loan. So if a student isn't clear through the Social Security Administration, we have to then go out to the student, say, hey, we need corrections on your FAFSA made, and then once the correction is completed, they resubmit the FAFSA. It takes three to five business days for us to receive it. Um, mm-hmm. Another 
very, very important a document to have on you while you're filing the FAFSA is for this coming year, the 2019 tax return. Um, that the FAFSA for 2021 to 2022 requires you to fill in 2019 information. And they will also offer an option in the parent and student financial information section of that FAFSA to do what's called an IRS retrieval tool. And having that 2019 tax return in front of you helps you to know what address you filed it at, um, how you filed, those identifiers that are going to help draw that information into your FAFSA. Mm-hmm. And, and, I th- and oh, finally, mm-hmm. you'll be in, interested in bringing in what's called an FSAID. And for those who haven't created one in the past, um, one parent in the and the student themselves need to create one each. Um, mm-hmm. When you go to the FAFSA, it'll give you the option to click on a link that'll take you to create the FSAID. And that's just an, that's an identifier that the federal government uses to link you to all the information regarding the student. So for a parent, if you have multiple students, you'll only need to create the one FSAID for yourself. And you can use it for all of the children but each child will need to create their own FSAID because they'll each sign into their own individual FAFSAs. Each team has different information, but obviously the parent's information stays the same. Right. And that FSAID is for electronically submitting it or it's, again, I just want to make sure I understand completely what that FSAID is. I actually had it years ago when I did my kids' um, FAFSA forms too, but I just want to make sure everyone understands really what the purpose of that ID is. Yeah, absolutely. So in the past, I think about five or six years ago, they used to have a PIN number and it was a four digit number. Now, obviously after a while, everybody's PIN number becomes, you know, the same. It's it's easy to mix up and it's easier to hack and break into. So Mm -hmm. the federal government and the Department of Education decided to come up with what's called the FSAID, the Federal Student Aid ID. And that way, um, so you use it to, the student uses it to sign into their FAFSA. And the parent will use their FSAID to use the IRS data retrieval tool. And then both the student and the parent will use the FSAID to electronically sign the FAFSA. Later mm-hmm. on in the student's like, college career, um, as they're, as they're going through college, they may take out student loans. They'll need to use their FSAID to sign into um, studentloans.gov to take loans out. They'll need to use it to sign into what's called NSLDS, which is the National Student Loan Data Servicer. And that is going to help them see what loans they've taken out. So it's really an excellent way to have one username, one password, and have access to everything that you could possibly need access to during these next four, five, six years, depending on, on how far you depend uh, with your degree. Perfect. Well, thank you for that explanation. I'm sure that helps as well. Um, but right now it's time to take a break. So when we come back, we'll continue to chat with Autumn about how to file the FAFSA during the pandemic. You're listening to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer on Voice America Internet Radio. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Biz Help For You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to Biz Help For You. Welcome back to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, Autumn Ganser told us about her background and how she got into helping with financial aid. Now, let's continue our discussion. So, Autumn, right before the break, when we were talking about, you know, the uh, information they'll need, you mentioned the Social Security number and how they check with the Social Security Administration uh, to compare the information. And I know as a payroll company, too, sometimes people give their name the way they like to be called versus their legal name. And there's an issue. So can you touch on that about how the people need to be submitting all of their information with that Social Security number? Correct. Yeah, so that happens quite frequently. I know for our office, you know, someone named Robert, they'll, they'll sign their FAFSA as Bobby, and then as the FAFSA travels to the different levels and the different organizations, the Social Security Administration will shred that and will say there's something wrong, doesn't match what's on our records. Uh, the same goes also for some parents who have remarried and they've hyphenated their name. If mm-hmm. their legal name isolated or they've decided to just keep their original last name, they need to make sure that what they have on their Social Security card, what we, what they have with the Social Security Administration, is exactly what they use to fill out to create their FSA ID, and it's identical to how they filled the FAFSA out when it came to parent demographic information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, again, people don't always realize how important that really is to have it 100% matching or it could bounce back. So I wanted to make sure we touched on that as well. Okay, so what is the IRS data retrieval tool and how is someone who's going to be applying for the FAFSA use it? So when you get to the end of the FAFSA, there's one tab and it's financial information before the sign and submit button. So when you're filling out your information, it comes to now we need to know the parent financial information. When you put in your filing status, how you filed, whether it was a 1040A, a 1040EZ, um, there's going to be a blue 
button that pops up, and it says Link to IRS. And what that does is it directs you to the IRS website, and it draws in the information right from the IRS. And it's incredibly helpful for us as financial aid administrators because when we see there's, like, there's codes on what we receive after the FAFSA is submitted, we receive what's called an ICER, um, and that's the, that's the FAFSA information condensed in an easier format for us to read and evaluate the FAFSAs. We get codes that let us know whether the IRS data retrieval tool was used successfully. If somebody used, um, if they have an amended tax return, if they can't, like they keyed in by hand their tax information. So when we see a certain code that lets us know they use the IRS data retrieval tool, we have confidence when we evaluate that information that it came right from the IRS, no keys were transposed. And so it's incredibly helpful to um, not only the financial aid administration, but also for the parent and student as well. Because I remember before that was even introduced when I went to college, it was mm-hmm. take out the tax return, look at each <laughs> line item. Line 12A plus 12B is in this spot. So it really avoids a lot of the hassle of flipping back and forth between a tax return, making sure you're reading the terminology correctly, and looking back and forth at the screen. Mm-hmm. So obviously right now it's, you know, still right before the filing deadline for individual, you know, taxes. So someone may not have filed their 2019 tax yet, um, but maybe they want to get in and start this process. So if it's not there at this time, can they use a prior year or do they really need to wait until that return is filed? Like, how does that work with the IRS data retrieval tool and this year's form that they're filing? So the hope of the, the Department of Education was FAFSAs used to open up January 1st. And mm-hmm. at that point, a lot of students were, were saying that tax information wasn't corrected, wasn't turned in right, um, wasn't submitted. So they tried to give a larger time frame for students to turn that stuff in. Uh, so they... Bumped back the inform- they bumped back the opening date, obviously, to October 1st. They also changed the tax information, like for this coming FAFSA, the- for next fall and spring. Originally, mm-hmm. they would require you to report 2020 information because most extensions have been granted and end before the FAFSA opens. Most families should really have the 2019 taxes completed. If mm-hmm. not, if they have like a W-2 that they can use to key that information in and see if they're chosen for verification or not, uh, they should really try to grab that W-2, key in that information, and submit that instead of the taxes if they don't have those prepared and completed mm-hmm. yet. Okay, so they'll just be putting in as much information as possible. So kind of going back to, like you said, how it used to be where you would have to get, you know, documents and find the numbers, although we're, they're not referring to a paper tax return at this point, but they are using the the supporting documentation to get as much of that information as possible. So they're not going to go back to like a prior year at this point. They're still going to use 2019 numbers. Absolutely. They want to make sure, especially in financial aid, we want to make sure that when we receive a FAFSA, that information is as accurate as possible so that when we create a financial aid estimate to send to families, they aren't planning their financial aid off of the incorrect information 
that we've received. So in order to make sure that our first estimate is as close to a final financial aid package as possible, they'll want to ensure that they they get as close to, like I said, a W-2 is the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about someone who owns their own business, though, and they don't have a W-2? How would they figure out, you know, if they don't have their taxes filed yet, what those numbers might be? I generally uh, require, in each each university is different. I'll require some sort of ledger. I'll require uh, money receipts, things like that. But eventually they'll want the tax information. And uh, Mm -hmm. if they're chosen for verification, they won't receive any aid until that information is verified. So, And I've ran into that issue a few times where we've had supplemental information. And like I said, each school is going to want to check that in a different way. It's really best for them to contact the institution they're interested in in order to submit supporting documentation and say, hey, listen, Pretty soon, we're going to have our taxes completed. I'll be able to give you up-to-date information. Um, Here, use this in place of that and see if you can give me an estimate based off of that. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So then the FAFSA is asking for 2019 tax information then, but some families have made significantly less recently because of coronavirus. So then what should they do? So this is something that I know me and plenty of other financial aid administrators have ran into. Um, With the coronavirus hitting, a lot of students were near tears. Obviously, as a parent, you want to make sure you can provide everything for your student. You want to make sure they're set up the best way possible. And also, if you're on a payment plan, you're trying to pay that bill off. Um, You're just beside yourself. So we have dealt with that just recently in the spring and also for this year as well. Um, When parents make significantly less or they lose their job because of this pandemic or just in general, they should still report their 2019 tax information and then get into touch with their financial aid office of the college that they're interested in, the college that they've chosen, to see when they can file what's called a special circumstance or a change of circumstance. But keep in mind that there are still, like with the 2019 tax information, that's part of verification. So they need a base number to start with. So Mm -hmm. it'll be that 2019 tax information. And then when they talk to the school about the special circumstance or the change of circumstance, they're going to ask them to provide certain information, certain documents to back up their claim um, of loss of income or loss of job. Okay, so if someone wants to file that special circumstance or a change in circumstance, what information would they be required to submit to show that their numbers have changed? So when it comes to special circumstances, it covers a wide topic because it's a special circumstance. You know, outside of these circumstances, we would have been able to afford what the FAFSA reflects. Um, And just to go over just a few Um, special circumstances, because I know people are dealing with more than just the coronavirus right now and loss of income. Um, There is a loss of income from work. There is a separation, uh, extraordinary medical and dental expenses, like if you're paying out of pocket for those. Uh, If there's a separation or a divorce in the family, that's a special circumstance. If someone in your family passes away, like a wage earner, like the father, the mother, any parent, 
um, that weren't a special circumstance. If other students, your other children are going to a private or elementary, a private elementary or secondary school, that's also a special circumstance because you're paying out of pocket to attend these private schools. Um, if 2019 shows a lump sum payout, like I know for, you know, in the past I've taken out my 401k and in mm-hmm. order to, you know, when I got laid off, I've taken out my 401k. I'm clearly not going to get that amount every single year. So I would mm-hmm. need to show that that's not a reoccurring event that has happened. Um, so those are just a few of them. Um, and talk to your talk to your financial aid office of the institution you're interested in and see what they specifically request. I know for us, um, with this show being about filing in the middle of the pandemic, I'll focus on loss of income from work or loss of work. Um, in financial aid, I require the student to go through verification first which is, of course, providing that 2019 information um, as a great base point for me to jump off of and to show that I've done my due diligence to the Department of Education. What I usually Mm -hmm. require is a letter from the employer verifying the loss of employment, um, the last date of employment if the parent or the student has lost their job. I require the last pay stub with the inclusion of the year-to-date earning line that's on that pay stub. If the parent or the student became re-employed and now they're making significantly less, I'm going to require also the last pay stub from their new employer. Mm -hmm. Um, If they got laid off or they're on unemployment currently, I require a statement of unemployment benefits. And um, usually they, they have those statements and it shows how long the eligibility for unemployment is for. Um, And I also will probably require the most recent tax transcripts. So when we go through the special circumstance, if 2020 tax information is available, um, I'll require that. If there's a W-2 for 2020, instead of them being, instead of them filing their taxes, I'll ask for that as well. Um, Once again, you see the FAFTA request 2019 information, the most current Tax information will be at that time, hopefully 2020, and then ensure that I've done my due diligence of attracting um, any wages lost from the adjusted gross income, um, and all of that documentation will be placed in a packet in the student's file just to show when auditors come to make sure we're doing our job, they can see that I've gone through each stage and have successfully and accurately reduce the adjusted gross income. Mm-hmm. And then probably the last question before we go to our break. So if someone has filed the special circumstance because they've lost their job and then now things change and they get employment, you know, in a few months or something, what is the process that they would have to do to come to you to update that information? I know for me, um, I've had that happen with some students where they now got a new job. Um, it pays significantly less. They would just need, for me anyway, they would just need to uh, schedule an appointment with me. And that's where the whole, the most current pay stub um, comes into play. If they're being reemployed, they would just need to come in and, and make that update. Mm-hmm. And that would be any time during like the school year or something. Like if you do financial aid on numbers now and then in like three or four months, someone gets some type of employment, they come to you and say, well, my situation's changed a little bit. Here's my information. 
Absolutely. Even even if the, they were in the middle of the fall semester um, and they got a new job or the spring semester, I know that I would I would look at the um, I would look at that as a change of circumstance. I may require additional, um, depending on each situation, because they are so different. I may mm-hmm. require additional information to back up certain claims each student or parent may may make. But I would usually require a um, up-to-date, most current pay stub of their most recent employer. Um, each school has a threshold of when that parent would need to hold that job or that parent is out of work for a certain amount of weeks, but that each change, that changes with each um, institution. Okay, perfect. Thank you for covering that as well. Uh, but it is now time to take another quick break, so be sure to hang around to hear more from Autumn Ganser of Holy Cross College on filing your FAFSA. We'll be right back after a brief commercial break. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. Welcome back to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Today I'm chatting with Autumn Ganser of Holy Cross College. Let's find out a bit more information from her on how to file a FAFSA during a pandemic. So Autumn, before we went to break, we were talking about special circumstances, and I know we were focused a little bit more on the income and the change in income, but you had also said there's some other special circumstances. So if during the school year something changes, uh, can they file that special circumstance at any time during that school year? Absolutely, they can. So let's say in the middle of the fall semester, um, they have medical or dental expenses, if their parents are going through a separation or a divorce, um, at any of those special circumstance uh, situations, they're able to come to my office and, and let me know. Because any, any loss in income or any loss of income that can be used towards college needs to be acknowledged and needs to be 
um, reported so that we have the most up-to-date information in order to better serve the student, make sure that they're receiving the aid that they deserve during their current circumstance. Okay, perfect. So it's not just the one time in the fall you file and that number is it for the whole school year. Right, and I've had I've had one family with multiple circumstances, so it's kind mm. of a hat on a hat where they come in and they say we've got you know medical expenses and they do that and then oh well my my you know my parents are getting a divorce and then that's a whole separate circumstance. So okay. I, I usually tell I've got parents who say. I've got medical bills. I'm not sure what's going to count towards it or not. I usually say, give me everything you can. I'll look through it on my end. I'll deduct everything that I can legally. Um, And I've had one time where I've had over 600 pages of medical bills, dental bills, medication, um, you know, medication bills, things like that. And I've deducted that all from their adjusted gross income. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know in prior segments, as we were talking, you've mentioned verification a couple times. So I would love you to explain what verification really is. Yeah, so verification is a process created by the Department of Education. Every three out of ten FAFSAs is chosen randomly for verification. And what that does, I've had students who come in and they're like, did I do something wrong? Did I complete it wrong? Am I in trouble? You're not in trouble at all. It is just a random spot check to make sure that information that's provided is accurate and up-to-date. Uh, generally, the most basic of verification process is a student will complete what's called a dependent verification worksheet, or if the student is independent, they'll complete what's called the independent verification worksheet, and that's just to ensure that the household number, number that they list on the FAFSA is accurate. So they assign names, they assign ages. If any of the, the members of the family are in college outside of them, they'll list that as well to make sure that that is accurately reflected in the FAFSA. The second part to that, the other side, is the tax information. So I've mentioned that a few times where you'll want that 2019 tax information, you'll want to do the IRS data retrieval tool on the FAFSA of the it's better to do that now than get children for verification and do it again. Uh, special circumstances, usually the first step of that is to go through verification for a really good base number, uh, like a jumping off point. So it will require that the parent file or that the parent does either the IRS data retrieval tool or that they request and provide this tool with what's called a IRS uh tax return transcript. So that's not the same as a tax return that you file with H&R Block or TurboTax or through your own accountant. It is going to be a transcript requested directly from the IRS. And those are really the only two ways that financial aid is able to accept that tax information when the student is chosen for verification. So just to ensure that we're doing our due diligence that the student and their parents are providing the accurate uh, information and that they are getting the correct amount of financial aid and that's going to the correct student. Right. Okay. So I would like to kind of shift to talk about from the college side of things, like really what happens in your perspective once those FAFSA comes in, like what is your process? So when I receive a FAFSA, uh, I do what's called an import, and I draw in 
uh, student loan steps. I draw in reconciliations. I draw in FAFSAs. Uh, and when I draw in those FAFSAs, I look over each individual FAFSA and see if the student was chosen by, for verification by the Department of Education. If they are, I assign certain documents like that dependent verification worksheet or a request of taxes being updated through the IRS data retrieval tool or with a tax transcript. And I have to say, when I see that a FAFSA has already used the IRS data retrieval tool, that's just mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a load off of my off of my shoulders because I don't have to request that. Um, which is why I usually try to push for parents and students to use that tool because it's one less um, one less thing to follow up on, one less thing for both the parent and the student to do, one less thing for the, administ- the administration to have to ask for. Um, so after that, I then look at um, just some basic information to see if, you know, if the taxes provided say that a parent is, uh, they filed a tax return that is joint and they're married, yet they provided their marital status as separated or divorced, I'm going to follow up on that. I'm going to say, well, you know, which one is it? And so sometimes I know in in a lot of situations, the biological parent that the student lives with will only provide their own information, um, even though they've remarried. That biological Mm -hmm. parent needs to provide their own information and the information of the step-parent in that household. Um, Mm -hmm. That way, I know that originally the biological parent went through a separation or a divorce, but because the step-parent contributes to the household financially, we want to make sure all of our bases are covered. Um, So that's another thing that I look for. So just any any small updates the FAFSA needs. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll look over that. And then I'll reach out to the student either through email, a letter saying, congratulations, we received your FAFSA. These are just a few things that we need to follow up on to make sure you have the most accurate and up-to-date information. We want your estimate to be as accurate as possible. And I'll usually send that out. And my students are able to contact me through email, come into office, uh, call me by phone, set up an appointment, and uh, generally we provide a paper that describes the process of, you know, the dependent verification. This is where you get that worksheet. IRS data retrieval tools. These are the links for that. Um, so we will send that packet out to the student. And then from there, depending on the turnaround from the student, we'll be able to get out an estimate to the student. And I generally try when talking to the student and the parent, when they're in the verification process, if I do provide any financial aid package, I am I try to be sure to let them know this is an estimate and it's based solely on the information you've provided. I can't mm-hmm. tell if that information is accurate or not. You will know if it's accurate or not. I'm just providing this estimate to you based off of the information that I was privy to via the FAFSA. Mm-hmm. And then do the schools have, like, you know, obviously there's some kind of formula or something that you use to determine that. I don't know if it's like you look and there's a certain ratio that they have to cover on their own and then you cover or like, you know, what is it that goes into that decision on what the amount of financial aid would be? Yeah. So when a student, we'll, we'll start just with the student submitting their FAFSA. They'll have what's called a confirmation page after they click sign and submit. And they will give you 
something called the EFC, and that stands for Estimated Family Contribution. So just in short, that means the federal government looked at what your um, income was for the household, divided it by how many are in that household, and then they take into account how many people in that household are going to college. So I've had some people who come to me and they say, I've got two other siblings in college. Well, if that number was already reported on your FAFSA, I can't make any changes. That They already took into account. This, this family's paying for three students, you know, college. Mm-hmm. So um, they, they use those main identifiers to generate what's called the EFC. And that is what they expect the family to contribute to that student's education. When mm-hmm. we see that, we have, I know, just for what's called the federal Pell um, and even our own state aid. It's based off of a, like a spreadsheet where it shows if they're at this ESC and they attend full-time, this is the aid that they're eligible for. And that's why mm-hmm. reporting the correct information first is so important because if you change the number of a household, you change the the adjusted gross income that's being reported, it could change your EFC, which could then take you out of or put you in um, range for federal Pell or state aid. And when we see that EFC, we then take into account what is the federal government putting towards the student. Is the state putting anything towards the students? Are they an athlete? Are they receiving athletic money? Are they receiving any other outside scholarships? And then we determine on our end, each um, each institution is different, but on our end, we then decide what we can use to assist that student just from the institution itself. So if we go to need-based grant, and we say that a student can pay, you know, X amount of dollars, we try to bridge that gap with our need-based grant. Okay. And this will probably be our last question before we start to close out the show. But if someone doesn't have enough of the financial aid, what are the options available? So what you'll have, um, generally when I'm explaining a financial aid package to students, they have two parts of financial aid. They've got gift aid, and that is your scholarships, your grants. That's what we call free money. That is money Mm -hmm. that is given to you. You don't have to pay a cent of it back. The flip side of that is called self-help aid. And what that generally is is your student loans, your parent plus loan, your work study. Um, So if the student is receiving gift aid and they still have a balance due, they'll be able to talk to their financial aid department of the institution they are interested in or that they've chosen and see how much they qualify for loans. A basic student, their freshman year, will qualify for $5,500 for the year in student loans. Um, There's two types of student loans. There's a subsidized student loan, and you don't pay interest on that until six months after the student is not enrolled. So whether they dropped out, um, they have fallen below half time, which is six credit hours, or they've left the school period then their lender will contact them and say, okay, so your, your interest is now going to start building on the principal amount that you've taken out, and um, let's get a payment plan together. The second mm-hmm. part of student loans that may be available to the student is called the unsubsidized student loan. 
And that is a loan where the interest is applied to the principal the moment that that loan is drawn down and applied to the student account. So when a student takes that loan out and then I take it and I apply it to the account, interest starts to build on that principal. So those are the Mm -hmm. two federal student loans that colleges generally offer. Um, And the third the third option, the third type of loan is the Parent PLUS loan. And that is a loan that the parent takes out on behalf of the student to apply to the student's account, take care of any charges, um, receive a refund in order to pay for living expenses, pay for books, things like that. And that would be a process the parent would go through. Um, I have students who usually they fill, they'll fill it out as the parent. And if you can't do that, it's a parent plus loan. That would be like me taking a loan out in your name, trying to pay right. for my school. So parents, make sure you are the one that is filling out the parent plus loan application, the master promissory note, and that if it's a parent plus loan, parents, you keep in the contact with the financial aid department because it is your loan and your name, and nobody else can make adjustments on it except for you. Perfect. Well, we're at the end of the show. I'm sure people would have questions. So if they want to reach you, how can they connect with you? So the main way that people reach me for financial aid, advice, for help is through my email. And that is A-G-A-N-S-E-R at H-C-C-N-D-E-D-U. Okay, perfect. Um, And I just want to thank you, Autumn, for being a guest on my show. This is an informative topic. I know there's a lot more information we probably could cover, and we just didn't have time. Um, But I want to thank the listeners also for tuning into the show. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it answered some questions about how to file the FAFSA during a pandemic. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to email Autumn or you can send us a message at media at abandp.com. And would you please share our show information with those you know? I'd really appreciate your support. Next week's topic is taking your live event to hybrid or virtual. I hope you can join us for this presentation. And please remember, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is abandp.com. Links can be found on my Voice America page. Remember to tune in each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you can't join us for the live show, you can find the episode saved on the business channel on voiceamerica.com or find the podcast posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to Biz Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a terrific week.